listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. When we, uh, when we started out in our January series about New Year's reminders, I'll just be honest with you, I had... The first four characters in mind, these character studies that we could look at and say, God, what were you going to remind us of for this new year? Not resolutions. We'll break resolutions. We need some reminders. We need some refocusing. And so we had some characters. And I had those four. And I wasn't really sure about the fifth Sunday because we got five Sundays in this month. And, and I knew that, you know, we'd be following in this new year theme. And I had kind of been thinking... Well, the last Sunday, we'll just do kind of a vision Sunday for the church. And where are we headed? Where are we at? What's going on? And how can you be involved or more involved in what God is doing here? But I don't think we'll do that this week. In fact, I think we'll do that the first weekend in March if, if plans don't change. When we come back, my family and I will be leaving next uh, Sunday. We'll be gone for four weeks We'll still be here. We'll just be in the back with your kids and Kids Connection. We do that every February. And so you'll have different speakers that will be here on Sundays. When we come back in March, we, we, we hope to be able to just say, look, here's where we are. Where was where, here's where we're going. How, how are you connected and how can you be involved? But what happened this week that kind of threw me off that is that I'm, I've got the privilege of, of leading some of the, the students that attend Uh, OCA. I've I've been serving as a volunteer chaplain this year and really making that up as I go along. I mean, I really don't know, have any idea what I'm doing. We're just sort of trying some stuff and see what works. And one of the things we tried was a uh, study called Experiencing God. And so we've invited some, some teenagers, and most of those teenagers actually attend this particular church. So we're doing this once a week. And in our home study this week, I encountered a verse that they, if they've not gotten there yet, will encounter. And, and it, is a, it is a reminder, one might say, the greatest reminder. Because Jesus called it the greatest commandment. And so we're going to back up today and we're going to look at the greatest reminder. And interestingly enough, an Old Testament character that we find connected to this. Now, if you're following after the notes in, in, uh, in our church app, by the way, if you don't have our church app, make sure you grab one of the papers on the way out. It's in the center section on that uh, display wall over there. It'll show you how to download our app, uh, give you a QR code you can click and, and go to that so that you'll always be up to date and you can follow along. But if you're used to following along in the notes, then you probably, it's all going to get done, but it's going to be a little bit out of order. Lori, I apologize. I'm going to start in Deuteronomy. I know yours says otherwise, but that's where we're going to start because it just makes more sense even though it didn't last night when I put my outline together. Jesus was encountered by a Pharisee, a scribe, a teacher of the law, They put this one up to come to Jesus and ask this question. They said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You'll find this recorded in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, 
in Matthew's gospel chapter 20, I believe, and Luke's gospel will have a little different kind of take on it. Probably is a little scene, different scene, same verse, Luke chapter 10. But in Mark 12, this the scribe comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? We're going to trap him. We're going to get him. And then we're going to hold him to his words, and that's going to be what's going to be his downfall. And Jesus quotes a verse out of Deuteronomy chapter number 6, verses number four, or 4 and 5. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, when Jesus quoted that verse, he quoted it from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is the Septuagint, the LXX is how it's abbreviated at times. And Jesus says, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's what he said. It's really not a Hebrew word for mind. There is a Greek word for mind. And so that makes sense that Jesus would translate it as such. What is this verse about? It seems he's quoting a commandment. But now, but now aren't the commandments now null and void now that Jesus has come? Because we're Christians. And, and, and if you're here visiting with us today and you've, you, you don't know at all what it is about being a Christian, just hold on. But most of us are. And so most every week, what lesson I teach is to believers. It's to encourage them in their faith. But if you've not yet come to faith, then don't feel like this is not for you, because this is very important too. Pastor Kevin, I thought that, that the commandments were over. I, th I thought that was done because Jesus came and fulfilled the law and was crucified and raised from the dead. So the, the law doesn't apply to us anymore. Isn't that, isn't that what Paul said in Romans, that we, we no longer are held accountable to the law? Well, kind of. Those ritual laws and those dietary laws that set Israel apart from all of the rest of the nations, those are all gone, and we can eat barbecue. Amen. 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 And shellfish and all that kind of stuff. And we don't have to worry about being unclean when we come to worship and trying to figure out can we come in a bit. Because this ain't the temple. And we don't have to be ceremonially clean because when we've been washed in the blood of Jesus, when we've been baptized into his death, and we've been raised in his resurrection, then we are clean because he is clean. And that's good news. In fact, that's the Good news, if by faith you've trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone. So aren't all the commandments null and void? Well, I hope not. You know, that one about not murdering, that's a pretty important one. Still, still intact today. That, that thing about not coveting, that's a, that's a pretty important one. That one about not stealing and, and, and not bearing false witness, lying. That, the one about... Having no other gods before our God. The, the one about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Now, the Sabbath day, well, wait a minute. Do we keep the Sabbath? Well, here's the good news. Messiah is our Sabbath. 
Jesus is the rest personified that was promised. We can rest in him, all those who are weak and heavy laden. But you know, it's still a really good idea to take a break during the week. And this is a great way to do it, to come and be encouraged. So what, do you, what are we saying? Well, we're saying it, that if, if the commandment reflects the character that God desires from his chosen covenant people, well, then we keep it intact. And the covenant we follow today is not the one that was conditional through Moses, but the one that is new through the coming of the Holy Spirit as a result of faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. So many of the commandments are still a reflection of the character of God and His expectations for the people of God. We've never been called to follow commandments to be saved because the law was never given and never allowed the power to save. But we are called to demonstrate our faith by walking according to the will and word of God. And so when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength, then that's still what God wants and desires from you if you're a follower of His Son, Jesus. Now, we sang some songs that I did not pick this morning. In fact, I never pick the songs. I'm always just as surprised as the rest of y'all are. Sometimes it's made evident by the way I play them is how surprised I am by them. But I didn't pick these songs. didn't ask Eugene to, to, to preview my, my sermon. In fact, he picked the songs before I even knew where we were going to land this morning. But let me just walk you back through what we sang this morning. Number one, out of the box... For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us. What does that remind us of? It reminds us that God initiates that love relationship by his own grace and his own love. When you face God, you face a God who loves you. Even as a rebel, even as one standing and denying God, as one that has turned their back on God, as one who will, who will do any and everything against what, what any book says about God, you still face a God who loves you and proves it by giving His Son in your place and for your sin. Oh, there'll come a day... When that love that we have in front of us in abundance, if we remain in our sin, if we remain in our rejection, I believe the scripture is clear that we will ultimately face God's judgment. But right now we face His love and His love is abundant. It's far more than you could ever comprehend. When God sees you, He sees you with eyes of love and He pursues you in that love. Then we moved to the song, The Goodness of God, this morning. We th think about His mercy that never fails. We, we think about His faithfulness. We think about His 
goodness. And what is the response? With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And then we get to the bridge in that song where it talks about His goodness running after me. He's bringing all that is His love and goodness, and He's chasing after us because of His great love. It's running after me with my life laid down. I surrender now and give you everything. That is the response that should be love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In response to the goodness and the grace of God. Not working to gain His favor. Not doing, hoping that He will give me a star. Not in hopes that if I do for Him, He'll do for me. No, no. It's always been the response of the people of God to the love of God. It's an act of The third song we sang was gratitude. In thanksgiving for what God has done and what he has promised, what he is doing and what he's still left to do that he's promised, we obey him out of gratitude. That's why when Jesus said, those who love me will keep my word. My Father will come to them, and I will come to them, and we will love them and reveal ourselves to them, is what he told his disciples just before his crucifixion. Follow me. Trust in me. And out of the gratitude of your heart, out of the thankfulness of the one who has loved you so powerfully and so eternally and so immensely, you obey him with all you have, with everything you've got. The the greatest reminder was also a command. The greatest reminder is an expectation that God has for us, and that is that He own the primary spot of our love and devotion, and all other loves relegated through that. Church, let me ask you this question. Right now, in your heart, don't shake your head, don't amen, don't nod your head. Whatever it is, just in your heart, do you love God more than everything else? Do you love God this morning above all other loves that are available to you? Does he have the primary devotion in your life? We're going to look at a character who early on in his life did not love God with all his heart and with all his soul. In fact, this young man probably had no clue about what was about to happen to him. Well, we'll read about it. In 2 Kings chapter number 22. It's where we're going to be, and we're going to read some verses, and we're going to, you know, explain some verses along with. We don't have time to read the whole thing. 2 Kings chapter number 22 tells us about a very young boy 
who got thrust into a pretty important job. In fact, this one became the 16th king of Judah. You remember, Judah is the southern kingdom of God's people, made up of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. They were in the south. And then you had the northern tribes. When you get into Kings and and you get into Chronicles, they're called, and, and the prophets, they're called Israel and Judah. Israel had 10 tribes. Judah had two. And so that's why we're talking about Josiah, the eight-year-old that became the 16th king of the nation of Judah. Verse number one, chapter 22. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years. That's a good long reign right there. Josiah reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of uh, Adaiah of uh, Bozkath. And he did, look at here, he did, Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So the, the, the author of Second Kings is telling you up front sort of a little synopsis. King Josiah began to reign when he was eight. Now, eight-year-old wasn't making law, okay? He had some help. He had some folks around him that were responsible in leading him. But they were certainly leading him in the way things had been done. You say, what is that? Well, his great-grandfather's name was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a godly king. Hezekiah had a great reign. Hezekiah had a little bit of a stumble there at the end of his reign. But for the most part, Hezekiah was a godly king of Judah. And then his son became king. His son's name is Manasseh. Manasseh ruled for 55 years. And Manasseh has been called the worst king in all of Judah. Because his heart not only was not turned toward the Lord, his heart was turned toward all of the pagan practices and religions and idol worship traditions that were all around the surrounding area of Judah. Manasseh led the people of Judah away from God into one of its deepest darkest holes of paganism and he did that for 55 years then his son Amnon ruled for just a little while just a few years after his death and his own household servants killed him But it was not going to be any better under him because Kings tells us that he was just as wicked as his daddy. And Josiah, eight-year-old, was made king, having only known the history, very likely of his grandfather and the short life reign of his daddy, but certainly he knew the life of his father. But the writer tells us that he didn't depart from the ways of the Lord. He didn't turn aside to the left or the right. On verse number 3 through verse number 7, it tells us that in his 18th year, when he was 26 years old, that he began to restore the temple. 
like his great-grandfather Hezekiah had done when Hezekiah became king after following a wicked one of his father. And so for some reason, Josiah felt it needful to begin restoring God's temple. God was drawing him to himself. God was moving Josiah toward him. And Josiah was responding to the love of God, the move of God. Josiah was walking in that direction that God was drawing. It tells us in uh, verse number 8, it says, And Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, while they were cleaning up the temple, while they were doing repairs, he says, I found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. Now, have you ever been cleaning up the house and and doing some spring cleaning around? You're like, hey, y'all, I just found the remote that we've been grumbling about. It was under the cushion and whatever. I just found the thing. And we're so excited and it's just, we found it. How awesome. I just found that 20 bucks in that pair of pants. I hadn't been able to fit in until this month. And I pulled it out, hey, 20 bucks. You wouldn't be all that excited to know that um, you found your Bible that had been missing for 55 years plus. Hilkiah came and said, I think I found something pretty important. I've just found the book of the law. Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. 26-year-old Josiah who's just being drawn to the Lord to, we need to do something about the temple. It's in disrepair. We need to do something about it. Has now been introduced to the Word of God. In fact, he calls it the book of the law, which probably means what they found was the book of Deuteronomy. Because Deuteronomy is referred to the book of the law. And it is a summary of everything that was most important before the children of Israel made their second attempt to go into the promised land, which God led them to. So it's very likely that Deuteronomy is what was being read to the king who hadn't been raised under the teaching of the Lord, who hadn't been raised under the Word of God, and now he's hearing not the least of which are the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience to the people of Israel. Verses 11 through 20 tells us that Josiah the king's heart was broken when he heard these things. When he found out just what was going to become reality for his people, he tears his clothes and he's like, we are under the hand of God. We are doing all the things he said don't do and we can expect his curses on us because of our sin. He tears his clothes, he weeps in ashes and he says, you, 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 you. Go find a prophet somewhere and inquire of the Lord. That meant somebody go tell God, we're sorry. What do we need to do? I didn't know. And now that I found out, I don't know what to do. 
It tells us that they went and actually found a prophetess is who gave them the word, Lord. Interesting, huh? They went to her and, 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 and she pronounced to them, listen, what God has said in his word is going to come to pass. All of those judgments, all of those curses are going to happen. And that can't be stopped. But because Josiah has wept before me, because Josiah has torn his clothes, and because Josiah, according to verse 19, had a heart that was penitent, it was repentant. Because Josiah, the representative of the nation, was lying prostrate before the Lord going, I don't know what to do, but you say it and I'll do it. The prophetess said, go tell this one, this king of Judah, that God's going to withhold his judgment. Because of his response to God's word, he's going to withhold his judgment and allow him to go to the grave before the judgment comes. And interestingly enough, four years after Josiah died, a gentleman from Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar showed up with a really big army. And then came the judgment that God had promised. And so Josiah hears what, the, what the, the, the prophetess has said. And we come to chapter 23, verse number 1. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, that's the temple, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all the priests and the prophets, all the people, both small and great. Means Josiah the king sent out the word and said, I want everybody in Judah to show up at the temple. If you can get there, I want you to be there at this time. I'm calling a total assembly. Get to the temple. I've got news for you. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. I don't know if he read it all or if he read just the high spots. The king himself, he didn't delegate that to somebody to do. The king stood up and said, here's what God has said to us. Think about how awesome it would be. If whatever we were watching got preempted with a special news report from the office of the President of the United States, how awesome would it be if they turned that thing to him and we saw him weeping and crying? No teleprompter, no, no political bull just him with his big old Bible in front of him or paperback. I don't care what kind of copy he's got. But what if it was that he said, citizens of America, we have turned away from the Lord our God. We need to return to him. I can't make you. But I can tell you right now, that's where I'm headed. I'm repenting of my sin. And he starts laying them out. I'm sure there's a list long. You say, you're picking on the Democrats. I bet the Republicans got some long list too. And he just starts confessing and repenting. 
and say, I'm following the Lord. And every, every policy that comes across my desk, if it, if it does not agree with God's word, I ain't signing it. I don't care what it does to my reputation or my reelection. I mean, it, they'd be a couple of folks in the nation that would start hooping and hollering, wouldn't we? That'd be awesome. We'd probably mess it up even, but still, it would be awesome. The king standing for the people said, listen, be quiet. Thus saith the Lord. And he begins to read it. Verse 3. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. He read the thing to the, the, the word to the people. And then he stood by the pillar of the temple and, and I believe raised his hands and his head to the heavens and said, God, I, as best I know how, I, I can't do anything about the ones who came behind me. I don't know the ones that are going to come before, the ones that came before me. I can't do anything about that. The ones that come behind me, I don't know how I'm going to make them do, but I'm going to follow you. And as best I know how, so are they. And he remakes this covenant. He reinstitutes before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies as his statutes, whatever it is. God, you say it, I'm going to do it. With all his heart, with all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book and all the people joined him a strong leader said this is what we're going to do we're going to follow the Lord and we're not going to deviate from it to the left or to the right we're going to follow the Lord if he said it that's what we're doing and they all said "All right, then Count us in. We're in too. We also let us be. Verse number 20, or chapter number 23, verse 4 through 24, tells us what started happening right after that. Right after that, Josiah began to institute some reforms in the nation. He started to make some changes, and these were some pretty radical changes. Things like removing and destroying the pagan vessels that had been brought into the temple for pagan worship, removing any priest that had been more like an army chaplain. I, I can lead you this way. I, I know the army chaplains don't do it, but they have to lead people in their different ways. But these priests were, would, would allow you to worship whatever God you wanted, whatever God you'd willing to pay them for, they'd allow and lead. And he said, you guys are out. You're fired. Go home. Pack your bags. He destroyed all the idols erected in the temple. Let that sink in. Pagan idols had been brought into the temple in Jerusalem. He said they got to go. And in fact, I want them destroyed. I want them stomped into dust and I want them sprinkled all over the outskirts of this city. He destroyed all the houses of ritualistic prostitution. That's right. That's the kind of worship the pagans were doing. And he says, not only do I want them closed for business, I want the entire house of ill repute tore down and destroyed. We're going to build something else there. He destroyed all the high places, all the altars of pagan worship that were scattered throughout all of the land. He tore them all down. He destroyed a thing in verse 10 called the Topheth. The best I can understand that Topheth was, a, was an idol ritual altar thing 
where children had been sacrificed to the pagan god Molech or Baal. He said, that thing has got to go. And go, tore it down, destroyed it. He destroyed any and all connection to the pagan worship in all of Judah. And then he restored the Passover. He said, we're going to have Passover. Now that we've got all the junk out of the way, now that we've got all the sin out, now all the distractions are gone, we're going to have us a party of celebration. We're going to have the Passover. We're going to remember what God has done for us. We're going to observe it to the letter of the law. We're going to do it. The Bible tells us that it was the grandest Passover that had ever been celebrated, dethroning again his great-grandfather Hezekiah who had done the same thing. But Josiah's was better than that. Josiah read the word to the people. He recommitted to God's covenant He removed and destroyed all pagan worship, and he restored the worship of Yahweh alone. Now look at verse number 25 of chapter number 23. Before him, before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. According to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Josiah turned to the Lord and loved him with all his heart, soul, and strength. And where did that start? It started with the word of God. What is the greatest reminder? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Do you love the Lord your God with everything you got? If the answer is seemingly yes, can I tell you that you are wrong if God's Word is not guiding you and leading you consistently? If, if, if God's Word is something that has been relegated to a shelf... And you know what? Our technology does not help us this way. Okay, can I just tell you, just as your pastor, I hate the electronic Bible on your phone. I hate it. I don't like, now, I do, I do like it because I use it, but I hate it at the same time. You know why? Because it has become customary. It's just, it is just another app on your phone that you'll move around and put in a folder and have back. I get, listen, I get that it is God's word and I'm not trying to tear it down, but I'm just saying it's become ordinary. And unfortunately, I think we've let our Bible get put on a shelf. We've relegated it to an app that's in our phone. And it's just something we go, yes, I believe God's Word. And yes, I hold a high view of Scripture that it is God's Word. And it's only God's Word. But folks, if we're not putting it in our heart, if we're not taking it out of the phone and putting it in here, if we're not taking it from the page in our eyes to our brain, We're not loving God with all our heart because loving God with all your heart begins with God's word. And then as an act of response to his love, we want to do what he says. 
This is not a message about legalistic do's and don'ts. This is asking you and and reminding me that our God loves us to the end. And all He asks us to do is respond in like kind. All I want you to do is love me with everything you've got. I know you're not always going to be able, but I want you to every day start out with a new commitment to love me and pursue me because I'm pursuing you. Josiah reminds us that love for God means exposure to, submission to, and obedience to His Word. Josiah also reminds us that love for God often requires that we remove those things in our life that compete or distract us from Him. As easy as it was for the children of Israel to fall prey to all of the other little trinkets and bells and whistles and, ooh, that seems more fun than than the synagogue worship we've been doing. Oh, that's, I can do that with it? Okay. And so they just cluttered up their life to the point they had their idols in the place of worship. If you're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, then you're going to have to periodically evaluate what's going on in your life and remove the stuff that has become a distraction. Reprioritize the things that have become more important. What are some of those things that become more important? Well, I just wrote down some things that came to my mind. One of the things that I want more than anything for my wife to know is that she is number one when it comes to human relationships. I want her to know that. I want her to be confident that she comes first and that I love her with everything I've got. But that can become a problem if she becomes the one that I love with everything I've got. Because if she's getting everything I've got, then what's my Lord getting? Your spouse can't become an idol. But I promise you this, if you love the Lord with everything you got, you'll love your spouse the way he's called you to. She'll get everything she's supposed to get if I have God above her. And I say he's first, and then she comes under him. He'll see to it that I love her the way she's supposed to be loved. But she can't be an idol. Neither can my children. Yeah, yeah, the children can become an idol. When, when the children become the, 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 the sucker of everything we have, and and, and they are. <laughs> Love you, boys. But no, when we let that happen, and we fuel that, when they become the absolute apple idol of our life, then we've taken it too far. God does not want you loving your children 
more than him. But if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, you will love them as he has called you to. And it'll be beautiful. But don't put them above him. What about your career? What about the the ladder you're climbing? What about entertainment? Can entertainment become something that just becomes an idol to me? That I'm giving my whole life to this thing that we're doing to have fun. And it becomes this idol that steals from the one who loves us. Politics can become an idol. Goals and passion can become an idol. Do you know too that ministry can become an idol? Doing stuff for God can become the thing that we worship rather than the God that we're to be serving. We love Him with all of our heart and everything we got. Body, soul, mind, spirit. We, we just pour it all out for Him. Then we will do the ministry that He has created us for. It will happen because it's just going to be an obedient response to the one we love. Right? Israel's greatest representative Messiah, Jesus, demonstrated for us something greater than Josiah ever did. Jesus walked and lived an unreserved, wholehearted commitment to God expressed through undivided and unwavering obedience God said do it Jesus was already headed that direction God said go Jesus was already moving God said stopped he was already bringing it back God said lay down your life for these that don't deserve it Jesus that's what I came for he says let them do to you as creator The things that are unimaginable. And he laid there and allowed it. And then he was raised victorious. In obedience. Because of his great love for his Lord, his Father. Loving God for us looks like loving Jesus. Ordering our lives according to his word. Submitting to and relying on the Holy Spirit with all we got, with everything that is within us. So I'll ask you this question one more time. It's the greatest reminder in our new year. Do you love God above all else right now? Do you love God? Above all else. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I want you to be able to do business right there with the Lord, right where you're sitting. Let me just ask you this as a follow-up. What are the things that you love? Allow God to just run that film strip through your mind and just show you the things that you love. Some of those things are going to be good things. What of those things do you love more than Him?
Because church, those things are called idols. They'll never satisfy us like we think they will. They'll never fulfill the promises they make to us. They just won't. Because they're an idol and they're incapable. They're, they're inanimate. But he can. He can lead us. He can equip us. He can use us for his glory. He can do everything he's promised. But he wants to be first place. Right where you're at right now. In your heart, confess to your Lord. If you know Jesus as Savior. God, this, and then name it. Either has become or is really close to being the thing I love most. But I want to love you most. And I want all my loves to come underneath my love for you. I want my love for you to define what all my other loves look like. And I believe your word will show me that. And that's what I want. I want to ask you another question. What things need to be removed from your life? Because they've become a hindrance or a distraction to your love response to the one who loves you most. So I think if we ever get to a place where we're really honest with the Lord, He'll show us exactly what He wants us to get out of the way. Some of it's just trash, and it ought not be in the house. It ought to be at a dumpster because it's trash. It's always been trash, and that's all it's ever going to be. So get it where it belongs. Some of it, our culture says, not such a bad deal. But God says, it's not drawing you to me. It's not leading you to obey and to follow and to love me. It's distracting you. It needs to go. How awesome would it be if we walked out of here like little Josiah's? Having heard the word, having our hearts exposed and broken, but with repentance, cry out to God for cleansing and to replace what has taken his preeminence in our life and replace him there and walk out of here with a recommitted heart to follow him with all we've got. So, God, we thank you for the day. We want that to be our response to you. We want to love you. Doesn't matter what we've done the years before. Doesn't matter what baggage that we've brought with us. Doesn't matter what daddy and granddaddy and family or whoever, friends or coworkers or whatever, doesn't matter. Today's the day that your word has been unrolled before us and we've all been reminded that you desire yeah you command it but you desire that we love you with everything we've got body soul heart draw us to that place 
Holy Spirit, do the cleaning work in our hearts. Show us what needs to go. Show us what needs to be reprioritized. Give us a heart drawn to you. Starting today. We love you. We thank you. First in Jesus' name we pray and everybody say.